0: Hey, anyone in here? Anyone mucking around in
1: these
2: stables? Ah, uh, Come on now, I can see you there in the shadows. Come on, show yourself.
1: All right. What
0: are you going to do about it? What are you doing here?
2: These are private stables belonging to Mr. Paul Chester. Too bad. I just lost me way, that's all. Sorry, bye for now. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That ain't good enough. I'm sending for the police. You won't cause any trouble with your boys. No Well, we'll see about that. You ask for it, mate
1: right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: We present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Porter News Mystery. Sherlock Holmes was accustomed to dealing with mysteries and murders, but as far as I can recall, there was only one case where a death occurred almost on his doorstep. You see, running parallel to Baker Street is Chiltern Street, and in between, at the back of number 221B, there is a small mews, Porter mews. The stables are clearly seen from our back bedroom windows. Number 108, Chiltern Street, is owned by Paul Chester, an Under-Secretary at the Admiralty. And it was in his stable, in the mews, that the body of his coachman, Ben Mead, was found that autumn morning. Naturally, someone thought of Holmes immediately. And, not stopping for breakfast, we both hurried to the scene of the crime. Ah, uh, Constable, good morning to you. Oh, good uh, to been a pop over, Mr. Holmes.
1: Uh, Lindsay, did name. I'm standing guard here until the inspector arrives. Now, nothing's been touched since the
3: alarm was raised. Good, good. One of those rare occasions when I'm first on the scene and not the last to arrive. Uh, this is the man, Ben Mead. Yes, I've often seen him at work down here. Uh, tell me, has Mr. Chester been informed of this? Uh, Mr. Chester doesn't seem to be at home, sir. The place is all locked up.
1: Uh, that's how this man was found. Uh, the housekeeper arrived. Uh, she doesn't stay in the house. Uh, she couldn't get in, and so she came down here to find Ben. <laughs> when in a flaming hysterics, she didn't call the police.
3: Uh, she's next door, if you want to talk to her. Uh, later, later will do. Let me first take a look at the body and the whole stable. Uh, the horse and carriage aren't here. I take it the Chester's gone off with them.
2: Now, the body. Well, it must have been a fight, Holmes. Look the way everything's been thrown about.
3: Oh, yes, there's been a fight, all right, but an unfair one. Seems to me that this poor fellow was knocked down, and then, before he had a chance to pick himself up, he was hit across the base of the skull with a heavy instrument. This man gave a good account of himself according to his facial injuries. Blood everywhere, and look at his knuckles and yes what's this ah yes yes a coachman's wheel hammer blood and hair on it yes this is a murder weapon all right now I need as much light as possible now where's my glass yes very interesting very interesting well it's clear from the footprints in the earth by the door that Ben came in here and disturbed someone I should say quite early last night there was a fight he inflicted some injury upon his opponent before he was knocked down. He was meaning I should think about here when the fatal blow was delivered. Yes, I think I'd like to go over everything alone, if that's all right with you. And then, when the inspector arrives, you can send him up to my rooms, Constable. I think I can put him on the right track straight away.
1: Oh, uh, that's a relief tonight, Mr. Holmes. Lucky to have you on the spot, so to speak. Uh, I'll tell the inspector straight away. Mm-hmm.
2: So, about an hour later, as Holmes and I were finishing breakfast, Mrs. Hudson showed in our old friend, Inspector Lestrade. Ah, Lestrade.
3: I wonder that Scotland Yard has been called in on such a minor case of murder. Uh,
0: morning, Holmes. Morning, Watson. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, the powers that be heard you'd been at work, and they thought it might be more important than it first seems. Uh, murder on the premises of anyone who's employed at the Admiralty is serious undercurrents. Yes, but this murder occurred in the mews and the coaching stables at the back of Mr. Chester's house. Nothing to do with Chester. That's right, but what is not known is that the house was burgled last night. and the housekeeper was let in and when they opened up the place, they found that all of the famous silver plate had been taken. Now, these two events cannot be unrelated, Holmes. The man who killed Ben Meade must have used the mews as an entrance to the house. There is, of course, a connecting gate and a pathway to the back door.
3: Mm, yes, but let's get the sequence in the right order.
0: Ben Meade investigated the coach house,
3: was killed by an intruder who then took Meade's key and went into the house and stole the silver plate? No, I think not.
0: Well, I I don't know what order it happened in, but uh, the two events must be connected. Uh, The coincidence is too great, don't you agree? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Well, Holmes, where do we start? Any ideas?
3: Oh, yes, plenty. It's a question of marshalling, my thoughts. Now, let's take the death of the coachman as a start. You're looking for the murderer. He is approximately five foot eight inches. He has red hair, and he has a tooth missing from the front of his mouth.
0: Holmes, uh, you uh, you aren't serious. Never more so. But uh, how did you arrive at these conclusions? Sure, sir, my
3: dear Lestrade, you're as infuriating as Watson. You should know my methods by now. They are totally scientific. Nothing that I say is guesswork. I examined the coach stable in great detail. I found evidence. The fact that the dead man had put up a fight was very clear. He was bruised about the face. Now, bruises are very strange things. They come about in various ways. After death, for instance, they do not grow into blueness. The blood is not circulating, you understand? That's how we can tell the time when death occurred. Now, the knuckles of Ben Mead's hands showed definite, clear cuts. He'd landed several blows. Adhered to the blood on his hand were various hairs. I have them here in this envelope. Uh, They are, as you can see, rather vivid red hairs.
0: Hmm. Uh, Yes, yes, I see. All right, Holmes, carry on. There's a broken tooth in that envelope also. I picked it up
3: from the straw... It must have been from the man Ben was fighting, as Ben's teeth are quite intact. Also, on the beam of the stable, there were similar red hairs. They are also in the envelope. They show that if the man was hit and staggered back, his head would have hit the post at roughly five and a half feet from the ground. That's reasonable to assume, therefore, that he is a small man. He must have had red hair and a beard. It's all quite elementary, really.
0: Oh, uh, oh, well, it's uh,
3: something to go on, isn't it? I think so. Now, London must have hundreds of men with red hair, but not all that many who also have broken front teeth. It narrows down your search somewhat, you must agree. Now, I've suggested in view of the fact that there was also a robbery, that the man was hired to do this job, therefore he is a professional and an experienced crook. Uh, May I make one final suggestion? By all means? Try Limehouse. There's a gin hall near the river. It's called the Waterman's. It's a place where all kinds of seamen gather. At the back of the hall there is an old coach house which is used as a boxing hall and gymnasium. I've long suspected that it's merely a front cover for various smuggling activities. If you can get a couple of plainclothes men to dress as seamen and ask a few questions, you could pick up a lead on the man you're after.
0: That's a great help. Thanks, Holmes. I'll do exactly that. Good. Well, the best of luck, Lestrade, and keep me informed, won't you?
2: Lestrade left, feeling rather pleased with himself, and I knew that if he succeeded in making an early arrest, Holmes would take none of the credit. In fact, Holmes appeared to lose all interest in the case until, later that day, when Mrs Hudson showed in yet another visitor. This time, it was a man of considerable importance, Sir William Benningfield of the Admiralty. Uh, good day to you, Holmes. Uh, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, we met a couple of times at the
3: Diogenes Club. Uh, your brother, Mycroft, introduced us. Of course I remember, Sir William. Uh, pray do take a seat and tell me why I'm so honoured by this visit. Uh, thank you. <coughs> Well, the fact is that we seem to have hit a spot of trouble. Uh, this is, of course, in the strictest confidence. Naturally. It's my assistant, young Paul Chester, the fellow who lives just at the back of here. Uh, the gentleman whose coachman was killed in a fight last night? Yes, yes, that's right. I don't know if that has anything to do with my problem. I can't see how it can have. But anyway, the fact is that Chester has disappeared. and can't be traced at all. But he should have been in the office at the Admiralty yesterday and today, but there's not a sign of him. We're very worried. You think he also might have been attacked?
2: Huh? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. no, no I, I don't think so. The fact is that for some time now, we've been aware that certain information has been passed on to foreign powers. Very vital information regarding the latest naval armory. As you know, we in Britain pride ourselves on our secret service as best in the world
3: information coming back to us leads us to believe that someone in the admiralty has turned traitor Mm. and you suspect it's paul chester oh grave accusation holmes i hardly like to put it in so many words but the possibility does exist Uh, recently i've been watching chester only he and i have the keys to the safe where the codes are kept very few of us handle the top secret stuff The codes are continually being changed. Now, I know Chester has been at work on certain papers. I am reasonably sure that he has been passing copies on to a contact in Austria. Your brother, Mycroft, is over there at the moment and has confirmed that the information is being leaked out there. And you think that Chester may have got wind of this, that he might be aware that you suspect him? That's right. I fear that he may be skipping out of the country with the latest plans. It's important that we find him and stop him. You say that he's been missing for two days. He could easily be aboard a ship or even across the Channel. Could be. But we must check. The point is, Holmes, will you help us? I'm sure Mycroft would wish you to. Yes, yes, of course. I shall do everything I can, Sir William. This case is becoming extremely interesting. Yes, I shall do everything I can.
2: William Benningfield left and I went about my own business. I had a large number of calls to make and didn't return to Baker Street until early evening. Holmes was not at home. Mrs. Hudson had set the table for supper and there was game pie and vegetables hot on the stove. I was helping myself to this when the door opened and a shabby old tramp let himself in. Look here, my man. What do you mean by calling in here? How did you get in? Who are you, anyway? You you must be the doctor. Dr. Watson, ain't that right? That is correct, but answer my questions. Who are you and what do you want? How did you gain entrance to these rooms? (laughs) You really are my best audience, Watson. I always feel my disguise is a foolproof if you're taken in by them. Holmes, well, I must say, this is one of your better attempts. I was completely taken in. Well, what have you been up to this time?
3: Well, I thought I'd do a little checking up around the Limehouse district myself. The men stand out like sore thumbs down there. I spotted them in the waterman's gin hall immediately. Fortunately, they made my own investigation pass unnoticed. Yes, I found Ben Mead's murderer. All right, you have. No, oh, yes, a very undesirable creature by the name of Joe Crumb. He's exactly five foot eight, has red hair and a beard, and front tooth missing. I've advised Scotland Yard, and the Lestrade should be
2: about to make an arrest, I should think That's fast work, I must admit. The Holmes, uh, is there a connection between that man's death and the disappearance of Paul Chester?
3: I believe there must be. It's far too coincidental. Missing papers from the Admiralty, an Undersecretary who disappears, silver plates stolen from his house and his coachman is murdered all at the same time. No, no, no. There must be some link. But what is the link, Watson? That's the point. It's a far more complicated case than it appears... Ah, uh, that, unless I'm very much mistaken, will be our old friend Lestrade. Uh, would you be so good as to let him in, Watson, while I change out of these things? Uh, give him a glass of brandy and invite him to take supper with us. I shall not long.
2: I did, as Holmes instructed. for it was indeed Inspector Lestrade waiting outside on the doorstep. He accepted my offer of food and drink gratefully, and over supper told us of his success.
0: We arrested the man, Joe Crumholmes. He's now in jail and we're pushing forward his trial. But, uh... Well, uh, frankly, I'm wondering if the evidence will hold. It's rather too circumstantial. Men have been hanged
3: on far less evidence. He is a murderer, I've no doubt about that. Providing you have a good prosecuting counsel, I think you should get a conviction. I'm not
0: so sure. The man's attitude is so darn confident. Uh, He doesn't say much, just does a sly lopsided grin. Refuses to comment at all. Simply says he's innocent, and that's that. He is not innocent. He is guilty. I've been down to Limehouse
3: myself and picked up quite a few tidbits of information. Nothing that I can pass on to you to be used as evidence, but from what I learned, it confirmed all my suspicions. Joe Crumb killed Ben Mead, and all that remains is for you to prove it, Lestrade. Now, would you like a little more game pie?
2: Holmes promptly dropped the whole case. Several times I asked him if he was making any progress with his investigations and the disappearance of Paul Chester, but he merely said that the time wasn't right. Sir William Benningfield called a couple of times and was given more or less the same answer. I could see that he was disappointed in Holmes, but Holmes didn't let that worry him. He was concentrating upon other matters. Days went by and even weeks, and eventually Joe Crum appeared in court on a charge of murder. Naturally, Holmes and I attended the trial. The defence was conducted by Hugh Starcross, the most able man.
1: Members of the jury, you must be amazed at the weakness of the case you have been brought here to judge. In all my long experience, I have never known a criminal charge supported by such flimsy, scanty evidence. As it unfolds, you will see that no rational mind can find the prisoner guilty. My client is not content, however, to be acquitted for lack of evidence. He claims the right to prove his innocence. He will show that he could have had no part whatsoever... In the death of the coachman Ben Mead.
3: That means he's about to produce an alibi. (coughs) The the usual questions first, though.
1: A prisoner at the bar. You have heard that at the scene of the crime there was evidence of a fight and the finding of red hairs and a broken tooth. (coughs) You have red hair. That's right. Natural, too. Always have had this colour here. You also have a front tooth missing. Uh, can you tell the jury how you lost that tooth? Uh, Waterman's gym, Limehouse, boxing, lost it about oh, three, three months ago. A oh, fellow right. called Max uh, Baker, called me one in the face and knocked me tooth out. Oh, that's Baker down there, he'll tell Yes, you. yes, just confine yourself to answering the questions. I shall bring the necessary witnesses to testify as I think fit. And Now, on the night of the 21st, when this death <laughs> took place, uh, can you account for your movements? Of course I can. I was... Uh, I was in the waterman's till about ten o'clock. Then I went across to the pub. Three ducks. Stayed there till closing time, playing darts. Then uh, went with the landlord to play poker. Had an all-night session. I won quite a bit too.
3: Mm. And now we shall hear the confirmation from the landlord. Yes, he'll now be called. That's him, that large, fat-faced man with the black hair smalmed down. He will
2: testify for Crumb. Holmes, you seem quite pleased that things are going so badly. This continues come will be acquitted. Oh, yes, yes. I should think that's almost certain.
3: Well, I think there's very little need to stay in here more, Watson. The jury won't take all that long to make up their minds. We may as well go and get ourselves a cup of coffee, I think. Don't you? Gentlemen of the jury, have you arrived at a verdict?
1: Do you find the prisoner guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, my
0: lord. <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
2: Naturally, I was greatly upset, and so was the strain. Scotland Yard had been made to appear rather stupid. He was far from pleased, and very much inclined to blame Sherlock Holmes, who was quite unimpressed by the whole of the proceedings. In fact, later that evening, he seemed rather pleased with himself. Tonight, I think we can
3: actually move on the case, Watson. Uh, I I,
2: I thought it was all over. Crumb has been acquitted. Well, you may have been right to deem him guilty, but he's got away with it. Not entirely.
3: Not entirely. He has been made to reveal his hand, and I think now we can step in and solve the whole mystery. I've asked Lestrade and his men to meet me later. First, I have to send off a few telegrams. One to Mycroft in Innsbruck, another to the landlord of the Three Ducks, and a third to Sir William Benningfield. Then we journey to Limehouse, suitably clad, of course. I'm sure I can find an old suit that'll fit you, Watson and a large cape with a pocket that can conceal a revolver.
2: You want me to come with you, or you think it might be dangerous. That's right. I've been inactive for long enough.
3: This time, things were brought to a head. Don't you agree? Come, make preparations. It
2: could be a long night ahead. And so, on a rainy, windy night, Holmes and I took a cab to the east end of London, and made our way by foot to the Three Ducks public house. We didn't go in. It was nearly closing time. We waited down a side alley, and after about half an hour, two men left by the back entrance. I could tell by the light of the gas lamps that they were Joe Crumb and the landlord. Swiftly and silently, we followed. They made their way down towards the river, and at St. Catherine's Wharf they stopped and entered a small disused warehouse. Holmes seemed to know the way, and catching me by the sleeve guided me through the darkness. The two men, Little Lantern. There,
0: there's he. They're
2: kneeling on the floor, about to open a trap door
0: in the floor. Holmes, Holmes. What's all this mean? Shh, you'll we'll find out very soon. Wait. you got to No, check out, though. <laughs> Can't be too careful. Here, keep saying, a for Ready. See, still weird. We've got no chance of anyone discovering him under the balls. All we've got to do is put him in the chest. Come oh, on, oh. Right. Right, that's got him. Close him in. Good. Now, tomorrow, we're going to call the semi-argo uh, Once right uh, out of the seat, we'll drops it on the board, and then he's down. We
1: settled back we needed start collecting <laughs> Rich men, we're going
3: to be nice and rich for the rest of our days. Worth taking a few risks for, I reckon, don't you? One risk too many, Crumb. What a devil! Don't move! There are two guns on you and both my friend and I are crack shots. Cover them, Watson. Let's get this straight in here. He and his men have been following me. <laughs> That's it. The game is up, Crumb. You may have got away with murder once, but this time you won't be so lucky. This time you will face a charge of killing Mr. Paul Chester... Whose body you have just placed in that sea chesty. Lancy, clever sworn did You'll you... have plenty of time to listen to explanations later. Ah, oh, no, ah straight uh... the right on time. Take these men away. Then I think you can make yet another arrest. A bigger fish this time. These are just two sprats to catch a mackerel. Come on, Watson. Our work here is over.
2: After the arrest of the two men in that warehouse, events moved at a bewildering pace. The body of Paul Chester was found, wrapped in canvas. It was clear that he'd been murdered, his throat cut from ear to ear. Under cross-examination, the landlord of the Three Ducks broke down and confessed everything. He turned Queen's evidence, and so implicated none other than Sir William Benningfield. Holmes was not at all surprised. You see, it was Benningfield's whole idea. It was
3: he who had turned traitor and was passing on the naval secrets. Paul Chester found this out and was ready to expose him. So Benifield had to get rid of him. The plan was to burgle the house in Chiltern Street, steal silver plate, and then send a message to Chester where to find it. Chester was lured to Limehouse, where he was killed, and his body placed beneath the floorboards of the warehouse until it could be shipped aboard a boat and dropped out at sea. Unfortunately, Joe Graham was discovered by Chester's coachman, who was killed in a fight. I knew that it was the beginning of the case and not the end. Once Scrum was acquitted, he got overconfident. The landlord, being the spineless type, reacted to a telegram I sent him, saying Chester's body had been found. They led us to him. My brother Mycroft is due back in England straight away. He'll deal with Benningfield. I think our job is over, Watson. So much for the Porter Mews mystery. Interesting case, but a little too close to home for comfort. Don't you agree? (laughs)
2: Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage as Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.